O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. I'd like to depart from the scripture reading for today, and instead I'm going to share a topical teaching with you, and this topic is the greater exodus to come. You can also view this teaching as a video If you go to BitChute and you find the Bridge Connector channel on BitChute, and there you can find this same teaching as a video with pictures. Enjoy the teaching. I want to speak to you today about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that topic is the greater exodus to come. So in this teaching, we're going to look at four main areas. What do the scriptures say about the greater exodus? What is the purpose of the greater exodus? When will the greater exodus happen? And how do we prepare for the greater exodus? Now, we were taught in the mainstream Christian world that there was going to be a pre-tribulation rapture, that the rapture bus will come and get us, and then poof, we are out of here. This teaching has been around since the mid to late 1800s, but it was also popularized in the novel series, The Left Behind series. Also, Hal Lindsey, in the book The Late Great Planet Earth, popularized the pre-trib rapture message. But is that really what the scriptures teach us? So let's take a look at what the scriptures do say about the end-time redemption and the greater exodus. and. We're going to first begin in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 6, and I'm going to set the context for this. Moses is speaking to the people, and they're about to cross over into the promised land, cross the Jordan River, and he is not allowed to go because he sinned. And so he's coaching them and getting them ready to cross over into the promised land. But as you listen to his words that are being spoken to the people then, They really are future prophetic, and they are speaking to the last day's end-time generation. So let's just take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. Let me just pause right there. All the nations, plural, where the Lord your God drives you. The people back then were about to enter into Israel, into the land of Canaan. But this is about them being driven to all the nations. So this is really talking to us, to the end time final generation. So when you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to Yahweh your Elohim and obey his voice, 
according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven from there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So this is one of the founding cornerstone scriptures that talks about this greater exodus to come, that the people, there's a promise coming from God that he's going to gather in all of his people from all the nations where they have been scattered, and he's going to return them to the land of Israel. Continuing on, we see that Yahweh has an exit strategy. Well, what is it? Let's take a look at Ezekiel chapter 20, starting in verse 33. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with outstretched arm and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I'm going to hit the pause button right there. That's Exodus talk. The phrase mighty hand and outstretched arm is associated with the first Exodus. And notice also that the the verb tense in this whole passage is all future. I will do this. I will do that. I will bring you here. I will rule over you. It's all the future. Continuing on, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Now in this next section, he makes a direct comparison to the first exodus as he describes this even greater exodus of the future. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you says Yahweh Elohim, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. As for you, O house of Israel, now, I want to take a moment to define some words, because a lot of misunderstanding happens when we don't have clear definitions. Whenever the Bible talks about the house of Judah, that's talking about a specific group of people. It's talking about the southern kingdom, also known as the Jews, the southern kingdom. There was a kingdom split. We can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 12. And the southern kingdom is known as the house of Judah. And it included the tribe of Benjamin and Levi and Judah. And the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north, is referred to as the house of Israel, or also known as Ephraim or the house of Joseph. So 
when you read passages, you got to see who is God talking to? Is he talking to the house of Israel, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel? That would be you and me. Or is he talking to the house of Judah? That is the Jews. So in this passage, it's talking to the house of Israel. Continuing on in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 40 to 44. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, says Yahweh Elohim, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, shall serve me. There I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the firstfruits of your sacrifices together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh, when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. So in this passage, Ezekiel 20, verses 40 to 44, this is specifically being spoken to the house of Israel. That is the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel. Continuing on, what do the scriptures say about the greater exodus? Another passage I'd like us to look at is Jeremiah 23, verses 7 and 8. And this passage is very powerful because it makes a direct comparison to the first exodus. And it's basically saying that this uh, greater exodus is going to be so magnificent and stunning and incredible that people won't talk about the first exodus anymore. They'll only be talking about the greater exodus. Jeremiah 23, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Another passage that I want us to look at is from Isaiah chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Before I read that, let's think about this first exodus and how that looked and how that played out. When they left Egypt and the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, um, we had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then, of course, the Lord opened up the sea and they walked right through and came out on the other side. And then as they continued their journey, they were led cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Who or what was this cloud by day and pillar of fire by night? Well, it was a pre-incarnate version of Yeshua. He is the right hand of the Father, and he perfectly executes and implements his Father's will. 
And so he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And so again, the Exodus language is mighty hand, outstretched arm. I will I will lead you out of Egypt. And so what is that right arm? The right arm of the Father is Yeshua, the Son. So now let's look at Isaiah chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. Now notice that this language is again future prophetic. He will create upon every dwelling place and he will do this thing upon all of her assemblies, plural. So this is all of the different gatherings, all the different groups that have gathered that he is going to have a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That word, upon all the glory shall be a defense. That word defense, that's from the King James. When you look at that in the Hebrew, it's Strong's H2646, and it is actually chuppah, as in a wedding chuppah. So what is the purpose of the greater exodus? Yeshua will ingather his people. That is the purpose. In Ezekiel 39, 25-29, it is written, Therefore, Thus says the Lord God, Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. So whenever you see that term, whole house of Israel, that's referring to all 12 tribes. It's referring to both northern and southern kingdom, the Jewish and the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel. Continuing on, And I will be jealous for my holy name, after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am Yahweh their Elohim who sent them into captivity among the nations but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer and I will not hide my face from them any more for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel says Yahweh Elohim so again we're taking a look at what is the purpose of the greater exodus Yeshua will ingather his people there are two sheepfolds. One sheepfold are those who are near. They didn't stray far. Many of them returned from Babylon back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and that would be Judah, the house of Judah, or the Jews. And sheepfold number two are those who are far, also known as the house of Israel or Ephraim or Joseph. The northern kingdom went into captivity to Assyria. They became assimilated. And from there, they were absorbed and assimilated into, and scattered into all the nations of the earth. But Hosea chapter 1 verse 11 gives us an incredible promise where it is written, Then the children of Judah 
and the children of Israel. That's both groups of people. That's both sheepfolds. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Again, we keep on looking at this purpose of the greater exodus that Yeshua will ingather his people. And in John chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, it is written, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Now, if you look at that in in context, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Jews. So they're not of this fold. That is, they're not of the Judah fold. There are other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's promising that the two sheepfolds will become one sheepfold. And again, in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 12, As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Now that's a remez hint of a timing. That's a timing hint. Cloudy and dark day is hinting to us that that happens during the Great Tribulation, or the time known as Jacob's Trouble. We'll come back to that thought a little more later on. So now let's take a look at the question, when will the greater exodus happen? There are some clues that we can look for. It happens in the context of the Gog-Magog War. The Gog-Magog War, spoken of in chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, will lead up to or immediately precede the greater exodus. In Ezekiel 39, verses 21 to 24, it is written, I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am Yahweh their Elohim from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword, according to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them, and hidden my face from them. So we're still looking at this idea, when will the greater exodus happen? And I need to lay down a foundation principle for you, And that is, biblical history is prophecy. What do we mean by that? Well, let me just share a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. So, the events that happened historically to our spiritual forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Moses, and Joseph, they literally happened. But these events are also a prophetic blueprint and a template for the end of days, last days generation. What happened to the forefathers will happen to their spiritual descendants. 
So let's return to the question, when will the greater exodus happen? Well, when did the first exodus happen? God works in repeating patterns. The first exodus happened at Passover. Similarly, the greater exodus will happen at a future Passover. So what are some signs that we can look for that indicate that we're getting close to the greater exodus? Let's look at Luke chapter 17, verses 28 to 30, where Yeshua is speaking to his disciples about what to be looking for with the return of the Son of Man. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So again, continuing on in Luke chapter 17, verses 31 and 32. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in his house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Notice several things from this passage. Lot was warned ahead of time by a couple of angels to leave Sodom and Gomorrah because the Lord was getting ready to destroy these two cities because of all of the immorality and wickedness and evil behavior that was going on there. But why did Yeshua give us this warning? What is Yeshua warning us about? What is the warning? That when it is time to go, don't look back. He tells us to remember Lot's wife. There's a time to flee. There was a time to flee for Lot and his family, and there was a time to flee for us today. Now, we also have as in the days of Noah. In Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, it is written, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, why did Yeshua compare his second return to the days of Noah? What was going on in the days of Noah that could be similar to what's going on today in the days that we now live in? Well, to answer that, let's go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 to find out more about what was going on in the days of Noah before the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it is written, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. So in other words, we had genetic corruption going on. The sons of God, that is the demons, were mating with the daughters of men, with females, and their offspring were called Nephilim, and the Nephilim were exceedingly large. And the whole human genome was being polluted, defiled, and corrupted. 
And this was a very big reason why God had to wipe out all the people upon the earth, except for Noah and those who were on the ark with him. Now, here's something fascinating. Did you know that your DNA, every single one of your DNA cells in your body, has the name yod hardwired into it? So your DNA is like a spiral helix. It is like a spiral staircase. And there are base pairs that, that connect the two strands of DNA together. These base pairs occur in a very specific pattern. Every 10 acids, there is a bridge. Every 5 acids, there is a bridge. Every 6 acids, there is a bridge. And every 5 acids, there is a bridge. So the pattern, it's a repeating pattern in the DNA double helix spiral. And do you know what the meaning of 10565 is? It is the numerical value of Yod He Vav He. His name is hardwired right into your DNA. So now let's talk about what's going on today and how is the enemy using a similar strategy as during the days of Noah. When you go to the Moderna website, you will see language about how our mRNA medicines are the software of life. And so when a person takes the injection, which is gene therapy, experimental use gene therapy, it has not been authorized by the FDA. It's still under emergency use. The mRNA in the serum is programmed to permanently change your DNA. It will override and suppress your natural immune system. It programs your cells to produce the spike protein. Right on the Moderna website, it says that the serum being injected is like software to give your cells a new operating system. And so on the website, if you click on the intellectual property section of the website, and then on that page, it says, go to view our patents here. Click here to see our patents. When you click on that link to look at their patents, you will see something quite alarming. When you look at the patent, there is an element in it called luciferase in the Moderna serum. Luciferase. The jab erases the name of Yodhevavhe, Yahweh, from your DNA, and now luciferase is in your body in its place. The luciferase enzyme causes bioluminescence. It is a generic term for a class of oxidative enzymes that produces bioluminescence, causes living tissue to luminesce or to light up, and is usually distinguished from a photoprotein. So it will also be in the days of the Son of Man as it was in the days of Noah. This is literally the building out of the infrastructure, the scaffolding for the end-time Mark of the Beast system. We are seeing the construction of the beast system before our very eyes. When the end-game Mark of the Beast is finally deployed, that will mark the beginning of the greater exodus. We cannot participate. We will exit from the system and we will flee from Babylon. Above in this picture is a screenshot taken from a video online of a man who took the jab and then when he puts a black light around the jab site, it glows purple 
under a black light. So we have digital vaccine passports, injections that have mRNA that permanently changes your DNA, nanobots and hydrogel in the serum. All of this is transhumanism. Through the jab, they are deploying an operating system within your body with graphene oxide that ultimately will go online and communicate to an AI entity, artificial intelligence entity, or the beast system. That is where all of this is leading. All the pieces of this infrastructure will lead to the ultimate end game, the mark of the beast. How close are we to the mark of the beast? I see news headlines, no jab, no job. Thousands of people in the police department, fire department, in hospitals, troopers, state troopers, federal workers, and state workers are being fired for refusing to take the jab. The global tyranny and the force mandates are all over the nations, in Israel, in Australia, in France. How close are we to the mark of the beast? I believe we have much of the infrastructure pieces in place, and we are getting closer to the final end game very quickly, as it is written in Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. I wonder if that image could be some kind of an artificial intelligence AI entity that they deploy that will then be able to communicate and control and even manipulate everyone who's taken the jab and all the series of boosters and ultimately a final inoculation that in some way deploys a chip that will allow you to be able to buy or sell. And without that chip, you won't be able to buy or sell. When the mark of the beast is fully deployed, this is a sign that the greater exodus begins. But don't worry, folks. We won't be here when that happens. When that happens, that is another sign that marks the beginning of the greater exodus. We will come out of her, my people. We cannot participate in the mark of the beast system. We will have to come out of her, my people. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Revelation 18.4 And then in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 to 18, it is written, The second beast forces all people, important and unimportant, rich and poor, free and slaves, to be marked on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that no one may buy or sell unless he has the mark, which is the beast's name or number of its name. In this case, wisdom is needed. Let the person who has understanding calculate the total number of the beast, because it is a human total number, and the sum of the number is 666. What is the time known as Jacob's trouble? In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6, it is written, Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turned pale? The time of Jacob's trouble is associated with birth pangs. What are these birth pangs? What is being birthed? The biblical Zion nation 
is being birthed. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it is written, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So what is the greater exodus about? It's about the birth of the biblical Zion nation. What are these birth pangs? What is being birthed? The biblical Zion nation is being birthed. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6. Let's look at it again. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? Yeshua told us that prior to his return, we would experience birth pangs in the world. Jacob's trouble is connected with birth pangs, and the biblical Zion nation is going to be birthed. And what is this biblical Zion nation? It is a new nation of people whose constitution is the Torah, whose God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose Redeemer and soon-coming King is Yeshua. But the people are yet still scattered throughout all the nations of the earth. Some of them live in Israel, but a lot more still live throughout all the nations of the earth. It is Yeshua's mission in his second coming to gather all his scattered people and bring them home to the land of Israel, cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Who is this woman in Revelation chapter 12? She is the biblical Zion nation that will be birthed at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. This whole chapter is something to study closely because Revelation 12 is really all about the greater exodus to come. So who is she and what what does it include? It includes the whole house of Israel, all 12 tribes. That would be Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom. Jew and non-Jew, who are walking in the faith of Abraham, who follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and are filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and who are following his Torah, that is, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Now let's read Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it is written, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now I want to cross-reference that to another key passage that is closely connected to this, from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 to 9. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. So let's think about that. In other words, normally you go through labor pains and then you give birth. But this is saying she gives birth. And then after she gives birth, then she's going to have labor pains. Before she was in labor, she gives birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. What's this male child? The male child is, I believe, Yeshua. So she gives birth to Yeshua, the male child. And then afterwards, she goes through through labor pains. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? There's your clue. This is a woman giving birth to a nation. Shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion, 
was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause delivery, shut up the womb, says your God? And that's from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 and 9. Now there's many layers to this. A woman giving birth to a nation. We can say that when the Hebrews left Egypt and they crossed through the Red Sea, that a nation was born. They were slaves in Egypt, and now they're a free nation. So there was a birthing of a nation at the first exodus. And then in May of 1948, there was a rebirth of the nation of Israel. But that nation of Israel is only Judah, the southern kingdom. It doesn't include the northern kingdom, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel. We are that northern kingdom. We are grafted in by faith, and we are part of that northern kingdom, and we're still scattered to all the nations. So we have a birthing at the first exodus of a nation. We have a birthing in May of 1948 with the nation of Israel, and we have a future birthing of a nation that will be called Zion, that hasn't yet been born yet, but we certainly are in the time of birth pangs. So how long does the greater exodus last? We can find the answer in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. So the greater exodus lasts for 1,260 days, or three and a half years. So I want to summarize and give you some definitions. Jacob's trouble equals or is the Great Tribulation, and the Great Tribulation equals or is the Greater Exodus, and the Greater Exodus is 1260 days long. When the Great Tribulation begins, the Greater Exodus begins. The Great Tribulation, or the Greater Exodus, lasts for three and a half years. We see the theme of birth pangs throughout the scriptures. The birth pangs are connected to the birth of a nation. That nation is called Zion. The nation will be comprised of the people of faith from both sides of the aisle, both Christians and Jews, who believe in the God of Israel, who follow his Torah by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Yeshua is going to ingather all his people from all the places where they are scattered and leave no one behind. But it is not a rapture. Poof, you are out of here. It is a journey. It is a greater exodus journey. How do we prepare for the greater exodus? There are two parts to this. There is spiritual preparation, and then there is practical preparation. First, we want to stay in the Word of God daily. We want to gird up our mind and put on the belt of truth, as it is written in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. I'm going to do a shameless plug here and share with you about a resource that will help you to stay in the Word on a daily basis. You can go to dailyaudiotorah.com. 
It takes about 20 or 30 minutes each day to listen. And when you listen, in one week, you will have listened to the Torah reading for that week. It highlights and features the Sabbath and the feasts. And if you listen for one year, you will be through the entire Bible in one year. Each day, you will hear a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb each day. Another thing we need to be doing is watching and waiting. In Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36, it is written, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. So here's another resource for you so that you can be aware of what's going on. You can go to bridgeconnectorministries.com and click on the tab that says War Room Report. There, it's Intel for Intercessors. It's news that you will not find from the mainstream media. and the information that's covered there includes how to make your own hydroxychloroquine, uh, religious exemption forms from the vaccine, all things COVID, resources and remedies, big tech censorship, Israel and the Middle East, where the hot war will most likely start, deep state globalist agenda, the folks in the shadows that are pulling the strings, election fraud, another ongoing forensic audit audits, and CCP infiltration into America. So we are at war. We need to be praying. In Ephesians chapter 6, 11 to 18, it is written, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So folks, we're not in a picnic. We're not on the good ship Lollipop. We are on the Titanic, and it is sinking rapidly. And we will soon be exiting the Titanic, so to speak. But we are in a spiritual war, and we need to be in prayer and praying and doing spiritual warfare prayers. Another thing that is very important is we need to be about the king's business. We need to be sharing the gospel with others. Remember Lot's wife. When it was time to go, it is time to go, and there's no turning back to go get unsaved or backslidden loved ones. When was the last time that you witnessed to someone or shared your testimony? 
We must get out of our comfort shells and reach out to others. The time to share the gospel and the love of Yeshua with others is now. Time is short. Remember Lot's wife. When it is time to go, it is time to go. There will be no turning back to go get unsaved or backslidden loved ones. What about practical preparations? The most important thing you can do to be practically prepared is to participate in Sukkot. It is a rehearsal, but one day we will be going live. And when I say participate in Sukkot, I do not mean setting up sukkahs in people's backyards and going sukkah schlepping each day of the week and having dinner in somebody's backyard in their sukkah. I'm talking about leaving your town, leaving your home, and going camping for the eight full days with your local fellowship out into the wilderness somewhere, at a campground somewhere. You learn a ton of things when you do this. You learn about that a Kmart cheap tent is not going to cut it, that you need to invest in a better tent, a four-season tent that you could be in for a long time. Many people upgrade to RVs and trailers, but tents work as well. You also learn about how to work with each other as a community, how to serve one another, and how to help each other, how to have camp security, and how to serve uh, with the food and serve with children and, and just be together as a community for eight whole days. You learn so much. And one day, this won't be a rehearsal. We will be leaving we will be leaving the cities and we will be fleeing and, and joining with our local mishpacha, our, our local fellowship, and we will begin a three and a half year journey. And when that starts, when the greater exodus starts, expect that the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night is going to show up at your camp. And you will be following that cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night for a three and a half year period. It's important to stay connected to the head, who is Yeshua. So we also want to stay connected to each other, the body of Messiah, Yeshua. We want to be at the right place, at the right time, with the right group of people. Relationships are gold. We prepare our heart, and we want to be in right relationship with the Father. We also want to be in connection with the people that we will be going through the greater exodus with. We want to learn to love each other well and to serve one another and to pray for one another and to lay down our lives for one another and be family to each other. There are some excellent resources on the greater exodus. I've only given you a very high-level summary on this subject. The two teachers who first made this principle known Many years ago in the Hebrew Roots community are Monty Judah and Eddie Chumney. There's a very good book written by Monty Judah called The Greater Exodus. He's also written another book called Tribulation Handbook. Both of these books can be ordered through Lion and Lamb Ministries at the Marketplace on their website. The website is lionandlambministries.org and then click on Marketplace to find these two books. Another excellent resource on the Greater Exodus is from Eddie Chumney, and there are eight remastered videos here on the topic of the Greater Exodus. You can go to Heb 
roots.org and then click on the tab that says the greater exodus and there you can uh, look at the eight videos that Eddie Chumney has prepared. Look up. Yeshua does have an exit plan. Your redemption draws near. In Ezekiel 39:28, it is written, Then shall they know that I am Yahweh their Elohim, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them to their own land and have left none of them any more there. And in Luke 21, 27, it is written, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke 21, 28 says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. Shalom and Yeshua the Messiah. Adonai Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.